Happy Friday and welcome to Animal Voices, a radio show about animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM Co-op Radio CFRO broadcasting from Vancouver, Canada on unceded Coast Salish territory. I'm your host today, Carol Davies McIntosh, and I have my daughter, Holly McIntosh, in the studio as well. Hi, thanks for having me. It's Friday, November 15th. 2019 and today we bring you the third episode of our school days segment up in the morning and out to school the teacher is teaching the golden rule american history and practical man you study them hard hoping to pass working your fingers right down to the bone In September, our first episode of School Days was an introduction to humane education with Zoe Wheel. Also, we looked at how animals and kids are affected by the activities in out-of-school care with Andrew Hill. We shared an interview with Jonathan Batchelor, who spoke about how educators and students at the university level are responding to the effects of animal agriculture on the environment, and yet many are still not questioning their own animal consumption patterns. In October, during our second episode, we spoke to an elementary school teacher about the milk program in schools and the use of live eggs and chicks in the classroom. We also interviewed a college student who felt bullied by her instructor and due, due to her plant-based food choices. And she also recalled a time for us in elementary school when she had to do, when she was asked to do an animal dissection. We have a clip for you about that. We had certain projects, even in elementary school, that I felt very uncomfortable with and I didn't feel like there was a lot of understanding as to why they would make me uncomfortable. Like, um, in grade six or seven, we actually had to do a dissection on a little baby squid. Um, mm-hmm. So there was like 13 little squids given to the class, and I was just horrified that this was something that we had to do and um, didn't feel like a lot of people understood why I had such a problem with it. So that was kind of weird because I, I guess I felt it would be obvious, but maybe not. So, so what did you do um, at that time? So we were supposed to be in, I think, pairs or groups of three. And I, I was like, I just told my teacher, I'm like, I'm not going to do anything with this. Like, they can do the work and I'll, I don't know, take notes. But I'm like, I'm not going to cut open a squid. Like, that's awful. Um, and and it, it was kind of unfortunate, really, because I had a, a wonderful teacher at the time who obviously was not vegetarian or vegan. But she really thought that this would be a project that the class would love and really enjoy because it was, you know, so sciencey and interesting. And I... I was kind of a, a little rain cloud on the, on that day, but so I kind of I just didn't really participate in it. Um, that was kind of what I felt the best I could do at that time with that situation. Mm-hmm. So that was Megan and Holly. You had a similar incident, didn't you? 
I did. In grade nine, we were supposed to dissect cow eyeballs, and it was just horrifying, the thought of doing it. So I opted out and um, had a very traditional old school teacher, and as a result, I lost half of my grade that semester because I didn't want to do it. How did that that make you feel? Not great. And to watch other people take enjoyment out of dissecting these cows' eyeballs was Mm -hmm. really uh, horrific to watch. And so unfair that you're trying to be ethical and, and true to your own values, and they are penalizing you for that when there are so many other ways of doing it. Today, in fact, that's what we're going to talk about. Today, for our third episode in the School Days series, we're going to focus on the use of animals in science classroom, and particularly on animal dissection. I don't know if you've ever been faced with a dead animal and a scalpel on a tray, but I have, and as you've heard, Holly has. Um, And I wondered what I was supposed to learn from the exercise of cutting that animal apart that I couldn't have learned in some other manner. Well, across North America, dissection of animals remains a prevalent practice in both elementary and secondary science education. 79% of science teachers in British Columbia still do dissection with their students. Today, we want to introduce you to the three R's, which are international standards for the use of animals in science. They are replacement, meaning using non-animal methods, reduction, using fewer animals, and refinement, using methods that minimize potential pain or suffering for the animals. Although these were first described 60 years ago, the standards are typically not implemented in the classroom unless the individual teacher takes it on. And in fact, many teachers do not even seem to be aware of these standards. Our interview today, which is coming right up, is with Elizabeth Ormandy, who is the Executive Director and Co-Founder of Animals and Science Policy Institute in Vancouver, otherwise known as ASPE. ASPE is a charitable organization that's working to build an ethical culture of science that respects animal life by promoting the reduction and replacement of animals in teaching, research, and testing. Dr. Armandi holds a PhD from the Animal Welfare Program at UBC, a master's degree in Implied Animal Behavior, and an undergraduate degree in Neuroscience from the University of Edinburgh. She has also completed a postdoctoral fellowship funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. And she has done all that without dissecting one animal. In addition to her role as Executive Director of ASPE, Dr. Armandi is an instructor at UBC where she's about to kick off a new and exciting course teaching non-animal methods in biomedical sciences. The course starts in January and it only has two spots left, so hurry. If you're a UBC student and you want to take it, let her know. Elizabeth is really highly passionate about both science and animals, which has led her to promote the replacement of animals in research, testing, and teaching as a best scientific practice. And here's that interview. Hello, Elizabeth. I'm happy that you're joining us today. 
I want to talk to you about the teaching aspect of and of animal use in school science classes and how the Animals and Science Policy Institute affects that. Okay. Thanks for having me. Okay. Do you have any figures on how many animals are used for dissection in science classes in BC? There is no data on that for Canada or provincially. Um, So because school dissection is an unregulated practice, nobody is really tracking animal numbers for that. Um, What we do know from a survey that we did in 2017 is that 79% of teachers do dissection in their classes in British Columbia. And is is that um, high school, elementary, or both? That was all schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we surveyed all, all teachers in British Columbia. Okay. In the in the K to twelve range, is that right? Yeah. So okay. what we learned was that dissection is happening most prevalently in grades eight through ten, mm-hmm. uh, or eight through twelve, and then um, it's happening as young as grade five. Okay. What what kinds of animals are used? So the top three species for dissection, uh, at least in British Columbia, if not the rest of Canada, are. Frogs, rats, and fetal pigs. Mm. Um, there are a variety of species used, though. So, those, while those are the top three, there are other species that are used, like um, starfish, earthworms, other critters. Okay. And where do they come from? There must be some kind of a regulation that where they can get animals from and how they have to be treated. That I mean, the dead animals. So, if they're laden with formaldehyde or whatever, are mm-hmm. there regulations around that? Um, not necessarily that I'm aware of. So it depends on the species, depending on where animals come from. So frogs are typically purpose-bred for their use in dissection, and they will come in preservatives. There are school supply companies where they have catalogs for school supplies, everything that a, a teacher might want to use. And then there's a couple of pages with animal specimens for dissection. Mm. And so the species that are sold through that means would usually be purpose-bred. So rats would be purpose-bred too. Okay. Um, fetal pigs are often considered, I think wrongly, a byproduct of the food production industry. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think that's a wrong statement is that female pigs in the farming industry don't get pregnant by accident. So I think the terminology of saying that a fetal pig is a byproduct and um, the pig was made intentionally pregnant, mm-hmm. and so the fetal pig isn't really a byproduct. It was intentionally created exactly. so to, to go into this industry. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then for animal organs like cow's eyes and hearts and lungs, um, oftentimes teachers will go to the local butcher, butcher or slaughterhouse to um, to get those things. Really. Um, yeah. So there are other ways that animals end up on dissection trees. So mm-hmm. oftentimes. Um, dogfish will be bycatch from mm-hmm. the fishing industry. Unfortunately, then this is uh, one thing that I think a lot of people might not realize is that some of the other species like cats that I'm not aware of anyone other than anyone in a, a school situation in Canada doing cat dissection, it's possible. I know post-secondary in- institutions that do cat dissection. Mm-hmm. But... Um, those animals can sometimes be procured from shelters. Right, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's possible that they, they might be somebody's companion and they just weren't picked up. Yeah. 
Right. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, it depends on the species, um, depends on where they come from. And you're right that any, any uh, animal that arrives to a school is typically preserved in some kind of chemical. I mm-hmm. think formaldehyde has been phased out due to the public health concerns, but there's still formaldehyde-like products that animals are preserved in. Which may or may not be harmful to the students that are handling them. Exactly. And then there's environmental impact if exactly. teachers um, aren't aware of how to properly dispose of those products and they end up getting tipped down the drain or, you know, things like that. Of course. I'm sure some of sure. it goes down the drain where even if you're careful with it, there's still some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I was um, doing some research about this, I found I came across something called the three R's principles, replacement, reduction and refinement. Uh, and this is for the animals used in science. And it's been around for about 60 years that it was created, I guess, by Russell and Birch. And I know that you're mm-hmm. fully aware of this, but I wasn't. And I'm not sure how much progress we've made on this front in 60 years. However, the principle is required by the Canadian Council on Animal Care, which oversees the use of animals in many science settings. Now, are public schools subject to this CCAC procedure? So, yeah, so our oversight agency, um, you're right, the Canadian Council on Animal Care, or Mm -hmm. CCAC, um, they don't directly oversee high schools at all. So um, the teachers, one thing that I've learned doing this work is that teachers have no idea about the three R's and all their obligations to uphold them because the use of animals in science classes in high schools is a use of animals in science. And the three R's, they're not just kind of a Canadian thing. They're internationally accepted ethical principles of using animals in science. And they're actually codified into law in other countries. So the European directive that oversees all EU member states, they have a legal directive that makes the replacement of animals in science a legal obligation. Um, In Canada, unfortunately, the the CCAC are not a legal entity. They're, They're a non-profit and so they create guidelines for Canada, but we have no legislation for animals in science in Canada. Really? So we're not following these three principles in our scientific community in Canada? It, you know, or we may be, some people may be, but it's not required. So it, it would be required if your, if your institution is part of the CCAC program. And I don't want to imply that nobody is implementing the three R's. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be true either. It's just that we have no legal teeth. So right. the, the CCAC set guidelines and they oversee institutions that are publicly funded. So if you're a private company, um, which many of the supply companies for animal dissection are private companies, mm-hmm. there's no obligation for you to follow our national guidelines. Um, you don't have to opt in. You can, but you don't have to. Right. So it's and fine. so if we bring it back to just the animals used for dissection, they are usually, they come from private supply companies that don't opt in to our guidelines system. And when you're not opting into our guideline system, it means that you don't have an animal care committee making decisions about which animals can be killed and why. Um, you don't have national oversight. You don't have an inspection visits. Um, you don't have to give your animal numbers. And that's why we don't have any data on animal dissection. So who who does oversee the use of animals in school science? It's typically down to the individual teacher level. Mm-hmm. 
And when I ask teachers, I've, I've engaged with hundreds of teachers over my years doing this, and um, none of them are aware of the three R's at all. And so that's what my group are doing, is trying to help teachers understand that this isn't just me being um uh, you know, an animal lover mm-hmm. coming in and voicing my opinion that you shouldn't use animals in your classroom for dissection. It's actually, it goes against the principle of replacement. If you can meet your educational goals with non-animal methods, which you can in the case of dissection, you can use, you can meet your educational goals very well using non-animal methods, then it's actually under the three R's your obligation to replace animals in that context. But teachers don't know about the three R's, so we're doing a lot of education around that. I'm dumbfounded that the teachers don't know that, especially the teachers in, you know, maybe the high school levels that are trained to be science teachers rather than just someone in elementary school yeah. who is a generalist. Um, yeah. That surprises me. And just me. to say, we, we've been working with teacher training programs to do workshops for those science teachers in training. What, what is the strategy for getting that information out to the science teachers? So we've had a multi-pronged approach that we've been taking. So we do those teacher trainings. I do a lot of teacher workshops. So I go to teacher conferences and I apply to do a workshop as part of the conference. Uh-huh. And then we have a resources for teachers section on our website. So when we go to teacher conferences, we ask teachers, hey, do you want to sign up for our newsletter? And hopefully the word spreads that we have really um, cool newsletters that are full of information and resources for teachers. So one of our strategies is understanding that, you know, we can't blame teachers for not knowing this if they weren't, if this wasn't part of their teacher training. And so instead of wagging the finger at teachers and saying, well, you should know better, we actually are like, you know what, like you're doing, you're doing the job you are trained to do. And that job is incredibly busy you probably don't have time to research non-animal methods in your classroom for yourself. Exactly. And so we've done that work for them. We've gone and we've created an alternative database so that they can go online and just look. Um, If you want to do a frog dissection with your students, you can type frog into the top of our database and some of the the valuable non-animal methods that uh, we've curated will come up and you're able to just figure out things that way. So that's if a teacher wants to be very independent and just search things for themselves. So we've saved a lot of time in the searching. We also offer, a, a, we offer guest classes in school. So we've got free downloadable class plans that teachers can download. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also go into schools very often. So I was in Nelson just last week to give four classes for one school. It's basically... Um, not only education for the students who learn about body systems and anatomy with non-animal methods, but it's an educational piece for the teachers to show them how to do it. So my hope is that although, you know, our guest class program, we want it to be sustainable for sure. My hope is that teachers see what I do, go get their own non-animal alternatives, and then they don't need me anymore. They'll just start to do it themselves. So that's with the teachers. What about at the administrative level in the schools? I know that I've seen that you uh, have estimated a cost saving of $250,000 to the BC Science Mm -hmm. Program in the first year if they go to uh, using alternatives to animals. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge number. 
Yeah, it is. It is, especially when, you know, we have such a, a struggle happening in our school systems at the moment with teacher shortages and low budgets and things. Mm-hmm. Straight up, um, non-animal methods can save money both in the short term and the long term. So you're not having to buy animals every year. So animal specimens are an, a recurring annual cost mm-hmm. to the school, right. to the school board and to the district. When you invest in non-animal methods, usually, so for example... Uh, one frog is about ten dollars to buy. Mm-hmm. The app that I use to—it's a three D frog anatomy app um, combined with a paper dissection. It would be slightly cheaper for one class to implement my class plan, um, assuming that the school has iPads already, um, which many schools do, mm-hmm. either iPads or other tablets. So the app is, I think. If I remember correctly, it's around six six dollars, and then the paper dissections. That it's a one-off purchase, um, but you get to reuse. It's basically files that teachers download, and forevermore they can print them as long as they're using them for their personal use. Mm-hmm. And so that's where those cost savings come from. So that's the cost saving just the first year, but then you don't, but then the the next year you're going to reuse those same things, so you don't have exactly. to. You don't have to buy another animal. Yeah, so next year your cost is zero because you already have your app, you already have your paper dissection. I mean, you might pay for printing of the paper dissections, which is not zero dollars, but um, but it's very minimal compared to buying frogs all over again. Right. Or buying the app all over again. Usually when you download the app, um, the ones that we recommend are not annual subscription-based. They're more once you've downloaded it, you have it. You own it. You use it. Okay. So there's a lot of advantage, I mean, financial advantages for the school system to to go mm-hmm. to a non-animal based model of dissection. Yeah, absolutely. And does um, Animals and Science Policy Institute have a, a strategy for involving the school boards in that? Yeah, so what we what we originally thought was, wouldn't it be lovely if we could have a provincial level of student choice policy? So instead of, there are 60 school boards in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. When we started this work, only four of them had what's called a student choice policy in place, which gives students the right to be given a free choice between dissection and a meaningful alternative. We got a policy when in North Vancouver, so they implemented their student choice policy after a couple of students worked really hard um, on, on um, engaging their school board with our support. So now we have five school boards and we, you know, as a small charity, we thought, well, if we could do a top down from the Minister of Education request, then that would be great because we wouldn't have to go to 55 other school boards yes. to make the case. And so we actually wrote a letter and asked for a meeting with the Minister of Education and we were granted a meeting on April 1st this year. Oh. We mapped out our policy request, which was a joint request with the BCSPCA for mm-hmm. what we called an ethical animal use policy for BC schools. Mm-hmm. And the policy was twofold. It was The first part was um, we requested a prohibition on the killing of any animals on school property for the purpose of education. The second was that every school board have a student choice policy on dissection, um, written policy put in place. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that request was denied. It was stated that there was concern over um, being too prescriptive about teaching methods and telling teachers how to do their jobs because that's not the BC Minister of Education's mandate. He's Mm -hmm. not actually allowed to do that. But one thing I will say is that our policy request 
wasn't asking for him to say to tell teachers how to do their jobs. It was merely saying you can still do dissection if you want to. You just have to give your students a choice. Exactly. Yeah. So right now we've just revisited our strategic plan. We we just drafted a new strategic plan for the next three years, and so we're still going to be working at the school board level. And I think our new strategy now will be to try, just work on uh, mobilizing students in school district, doing multiple districts at a time to get those student choice policies in place in other districts. And then once we have more than 50% of school districts with policies, we might revisit our request to the minister because then if you've got more than half of the districts with those policies in place anyway, it might make more sense from, a, from his or whoever is the mm-hmm. minister of education in the future to say, well, there's a critical mass of these policies now, and yes, it might make more sense to go top-down. So that's our strategy for the school boards. <laughs> and again, you weren't, you weren't prescribing that they shall use only alternative um, animal dissections. You were saying that there should be a choice. Yes, because there's no policy mechanism to ban dissection. It's a, it's, I know that that can feel very frustrating to our supporters and some of our funders because they've asked us, hey, you know, we'd, we'd love you to work on banning dissection. Mm-hmm. But there's no policy mechanism to do that because teachers have a collective bargaining agreement that says that the Ministry of Education cannot be prescriptive over teaching methods. They, they can't be told how to do their job under the School Act. There's a piece of, there's a piece of policy that dictates that. So that's not that wasn't our line of reasoning our line of reasoning was more to do with student diversity and inclusion actually and we made the case that you know for personal religious cultural reasons some students might want to opt out and they should be given the free choice to do so without Mm -hmm. the burden lying on them to opt out which is difficult for students to go ahead i mean it takes a lot of temerity to go ahead and and say to your teacher i don't want to to do this dissection. Yeah. yeah. And, yes, and indeed. at these ages, people are extremely vulnerable and there's a power differential, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very difficult. So without that policy in place to allow them mm-hmm. the choice, it puts a big burden on the student. We 100% agree with that. And I, I do want to avoid painting out uh, a picture of teachers that they're mean and power hungry. That's not the case. But no. You can very much unwittingly think that dissection is a really great educational option because it's like the culture of science teaching mm-hmm. in the life sciences is like, well, this is the way we've always done things. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't want to say that people are being heavy handed or forcing students against their will. It's just that the science teaching culture is very very, very prevalently, prevalently like wedded to this idea that dissection is a really good educational tool. There's evidence that it isn't. I think that even the most approachable and thoughtful of teachers could use just a check-in on whether this is a culturally relevant practice in 2019. After having said all that, um, I'm so there's a there's a difference between a um, a choice, an ethical choice, and perhaps maybe a health choice. And I'm wondering, um, mm-hmm. are there health concerns regarding the chemicals used to, to preserve the bodies? We, we we talked about that a little bit, but also the psychological issues. And, mm-hmm. um, and what does it teach the kids about the value of animal life and respect for mm-hmm. nature? Mm-hmm. Do, have you seen that? Yeah, you know, I think in terms of published literature, um, 
there's not a great deal out there. A lot of the literature to do with dissection is on the educational merit, like mm-hmm. how well does dissection actually teach students compared to non-animal methods. So that's the the bulk of the literature um, that I'm aware of. It's not to say that other literature doesn't exist. I think that when we think about why dissection might not be a great educational tool, I think it is because of those psychological barriers for some students, if not many students. You get a lot of disengagement because most young people have just a really inherent compassion and empathy mm-hmm. for I would agree with other that. life. And, the, and I think that, and this might be quite a controversial statement, but I've said it before, I think that our science education system actually strips them of that rather than nurturing it by asking them to do things like dissection mm-hmm. because... Yet what you're teaching is that it's okay in the name of science to kill animals and take them apart. And that becomes a deeply embedded attitude around science. And so when we think about the broader use of animals in science, when you get to the, when these young people grow up and become scientists and bench researchers and they are the future neuroscientists and biomedical researchers, then that attitude of it's okay to kill animals and take them apart in the name of science because as a scientist, I have this license to do this is I think wrongly placed. And I think that actually um, it makes the implementation of the three R's that much more difficult because there's a culture of science where animal use is just a given instead of a privilege. Yeah. So that's, I think the psychological cost isn't just to an individual, it's to our institution of science. That's big. That's a <laughs> That's a big piece, isn't it? In terms um, yeah, of yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, of where we're going as a society, really, and mm-hmm. yeah. So that's a huge. I, I don't know if we can go down that road right now in this in this conversation. Yeah, it's, it's, but um, I think it's it's something worth exploring. Yeah. What kind of a response do you get when you do the introductory lessons in schools? You have the students mm-hmm. in the in the classroom at the same time as the teachers. Do you? Oh, yeah. Our guest class program is mm-hmm. for students. Like we go in and they, we teach anatomy, body systems, um, all of those, those things in the BC curriculum to the students. And so the teaching for the teacher is a collateral. Okay. So h- how do you, what kind of response do you get from the students? The students tend to really like it. Yeah. Um, I do get some students that ask, why are we not doing real animal dissection? I think that would be cool. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just honest with them. I'm like, here's why I've chosen this career path. Here's why I'm here today. Mm-hmm. Here's what the three R's are. And here's, if you want a career in science in the future, these things you need to be mindful of. And so by the end of class today, I hope what you learn is that you can learn this material in a fun, interactive, immersive way without having a real animal open in front of, in front of you on the table. And um, so that's like a small percentage of students who just want their scientific curiosity uh-huh. is that they, they want to touch a real animal and they're kind of like, well, why are we not doing that? Just to say, like, I, I never did dissection in school. Um, I'm, I was a successful neuroscientist. I'm a public, published mm-hmm. neuroscientist. And it didn't impact my scientific career at all to not do dissection. And I didn't not do it because... I opted out. I didn't do it because it wasn't offered to me. And so it would never even crossed my mind to be stoked about cutting up an animal because it was never offered to me as a choice. Interesting. And so I think that um, when I see students that are really like into it and really kind of, oh, you know, I, I, I really, it would be so cool to do that. 
I think maybe they have older friends or they know that dissection's a thing. And I think that they see it as a rite of passage, almost like this, you know, you're old enough and mature enough to handle this content now. If it's not even offered, then that mindset doesn't even have to come into it. I'm assuming that the teachers are the ones that invite you into the classroom. Is that right? Yeah. So in our guest class program, Mm -hmm. teachers can book my time. Before the class, we discuss what the learning objectives are, and Mm I take our existing class plan template, and I rejig it a little bit so that we'll meet the learning objectives that they want. Because you're invited in, I, I would imagine that the teachers are receptive, but have you found any reactions that you were surprised at from the teachers? No, I haven't. Um, I get surprising reactions from teachers at conferences, but never people who invite me into their classroom. Mm-hmm. Usually the teachers who are inviting me in, they've, they've either met me at a conference or they've heard about us from other people who are on board too, mm-hmm. and they genuinely just love the class. So in terms of the guest classes, it's been pretty much 100% positive. Some teachers at conferences will come over to the booth and say, well, I'd rather dissect a real rat. I just approach with curiosity and ask them why. And then I ask them to show me in the BC curriculum where it says that that is uh, required of them. Because it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, and you know that ahead of time. Yeah, there's nowhere in the curriculum that says that dissection is required. It Mm -hmm. basically says, here's your learning objectives Mm -hmm. to do with anatomy, adaptation to function, body Mm -hmm. systems, all those things. And how you get there is up to you. And then I, you know, I just ask, like, what, why is it valuable to you for your students to touch dead animal tissue? And and then I show them the evidence, the empirical evidence that non-animal methods are actually have been empirically shown to be better for student education. Talk about that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, how? So we did um, the beginnings of a literature review. So we found 62 different research articles that were Mm -hmm. done by educators. And this was at all levels of education. It wasn't just schools. It was med school, vet school, university-level classes. So 62 studies had assessed how well students meet their learning objectives when they use either non-animal methods or dissection, and then there were those comparisons made. Mm -hmm. And in 26 of those 62 studies, students did better with non-animal methods. In 28 of those 62 studies, their learning was roughly equivalent. Mm -hmm. And in just eight of those studies, dissection was shown to be better. And that was actually at the post-secondary level, those, those eight And so that means that 90% of the time, students are doing just as well as or better Mm -hmm. when they use non-animal methods in their studies. So when we think about that principle of replacement that says, if you can meet your educational um, objectives, your educational goals by using non-animal methods and it's your ethical obligation to use non-animal methods, Mm -hmm. then this data is very compelling. And I think it shows us that actually we need to replace animals in education like yesterday. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are so many different alternatives, right? There are the hands-on, I guess they're, I don't know what they're made out of, some kind of plastic material, but that you can actually take out uh, the organs of the animals. You are actually able to put your hands on it it's not a real animal but it's it, mm-hmm. it's a model or there's a computer model or there's the paper model is there anything I'm missing here um so there are virtual reality experiences mm-hmm. and virtual dissections these are a lot easier to implement than your typical computer model so you don't need to take your science students to a computer lab you bring 
either tablets into the classroom and they can sit in their science lab and, and do it. There's also clay modeling, which I think it's gotten really good educational reviews. Mm-hmm. You start with a skeleton and you build your animal um, from the inside out. Oh. And I think that's just psychologically interesting compared to starting with an animal and taking it apart. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. Yeah. And the same with the paper dissections that are available. They are, uh, there's a company called Getting Nerdy with Mel and Gertie. And they are two <laughs> um, science teachers in the US and we've got a great relationship with them. They developed a whole bunch of different species. They're incredibly detailed. And you basically cut out the organs and your, your, the chassis body of your animal, and then you um, stick your organs in. So again, you're building your animal. Wow. And then, yeah, so there's a, there's a whole host of different modalities depending on, like, you know, um, how you want to engage your students. So, and we actually pair paper dissections with virtual dissection to create a whole class. The whole experience. That sounds... Yeah. So what is that again? Getting nerdy with... Getting nerdy with Mel and Gertie. They're, um, <laughs> okay. They're a couple of... There is two awesome teachers in the States who have a, a whole bunch of products for teachers, but their paper dissections are the ones that we, we use and promote. I like the idea of building your own animal. That sounds very interesting to me. Why don't we put the mm-hmm. lungs here instead of there? <laughs> That's sort of... <laughs> You are listening to Animal Voices on CFRO 100.5 FM, Vancouver Co-op Radio, broadcasting from unceded Coast Salish Territory. I'm Carol Davies McIntosh, and I'm talking to Dr. Elizabeth Ormandy, Executive Director and Co-Founder of Animals and Science Policy Institute in Vancouver. So Animals and Science Policy has conducted surveys asking, uh, talking to the science teachers. You mentioned some of that earlier in the interview. Mm-hmm. If they knew about non-animal alternatives to dissection and if they would use them and if students should be able to uh, opt out, etc. Mm-hmm. The results indicated that there seems to be some resistance to using alternatives, mainly based upon the teacher's perception. It would be costly, which we've mm-hmm. already discussed. It would take time to prepare and there might not be quality replacements. I think you've mentioned many quality replacements already. What about yeah. the time to prepare those? Would that be a difficult transition for them to make, or would they have to put a lot no. of hours into that? No, not at all. We're, we're here to support teachers and to guide them in all of this. And I will tell you that it takes me 10 minutes to set up for my, for my guest classes, max. Okay. Max. And and that's like, you know, once you have all your materials, maybe I have to do some printing, which takes me a couple of minutes. Once you have all the things that are ready to go and we provide everything, kind of it's 10 minutes and then quick takedown. You just pack the iPads away. There's no, you know, disposing of um, biological tissue. There's no having to set up dissection trays. There's no classroom management when you've got a sharp scalpels in the hands mm-hmm. of teenagers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that the ease of use is we tend to say that our methods are no mess, no fuss. <laughs> um, cleaning up an animal, a lab with animal bodies in it must be quite a chore for the teacher, I would think. It would take some, quite some time. All the yeah. surfaces have and to can, be wiped down, etc. Yeah. And I can understand that there might be extracurricular lessons for the students in like how to clean up a lab mm-hmm. properly and wear personal protective equipment. But again, you need to 
anchor those learning experiences in the BC curriculum. Mm-hmm. And the, that's not necessarily in there solidly, right? Like those are, you know, cleaning up after an animal lab. It's, it's good scientific practice that you can learn. But then my hope is that we won't have animals in science in the future. And so then it would become a moot thing to try and teach people to clean up. Exactly. (laughs) So we don't need to waste our time doing that now. No, no. So do you have um, any suggestions for students or parents of students who want to avoid (laughs) animal use in the classroom? What's a good way to handle that? We are always happy to be people's first port of call. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, contact us we have a bunch of different resources for students on our website so we've got a special student portal that says like here are the school districts where there are student choice policies in place Um, if you are not in one of those districts feel free to reach out and contact us here's an information booklet that you might want to take and give to your teacher if you have concerns Mm -hmm. we've done that so the the student will hopefully feel less burdened. You can give them the information sheet or the, our, our, our booklet and just say, like, this is why I want to opt out um, and give them the information. And then if you want to get more active in your school, if you want your district to have a student choice policy in place, we have a, a template school petition and we have a template letter to the school board so that we can reiterate what we what we did in North Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And those resources have all been translated now as well. So we have French versions and we're currently working on Punjabi and Chinese versions, written Chinese. Are they available on your website, those translated versions? Some. So some okay. French versions are. The others are still, we're still doing graphic design, but they okay. will all be available, uh, I can guarantee, by the end of this year. Okay. And yeah. if they're not up there, someone can contact you and ask for them. 100%, okay. yes, if, if they're hard to find. But it's we've actually, I've tried to make things more accessible based for our, for our website. Mm-hmm. So there's a resources button on our homepage, and then there's a little drop-down menu that says for teachers and for students. And so parents and students can click the for students resources, and everything is in that page. Okay. Yeah, I must say I've gone all over your your website, and it is really amazing. The am- amount of information there and the tools there for, for students and teachers, it's top shelf, definitely. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. We're, we're working on trying to think about you know that, that, that wealth of information, how to make the user experience mm-hmm. on our website higher impact. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really fabulous. I think probably... Uh, if it's not being used as well as it should be, it's probably because people don't know it exists. We're aware that we're small and people still don't know that we're uh, an existing charity. And so we've put a big effort this fall into um, having much bigger and more consistent presence on social media Mm -hmm. to try and garner supporters and followers so that we can actually spread this message far and wide. Yeah, and and, and I think it might come from a lot of uh, parents who are trying to help their their kids navigate the system. Other than your role at um, Animals and Science Policy Institute, you're also a professor at UBC, and and UBC is offering a new course called Non-Animal Methods in Biomedical Sciences. Is that still the name of it? It's called New Approach Methods. Okay, now. New um, Approach Methods. But, yeah, but it's still, the, the content remains the same, and it will be about non-animal methods in biomedical sciences. Okay, yeah. 
and you I believe you designed this course. Is that right? I did. Can I you did. tell us what you'll be covering and how many students mm-hmm. you'll likely have? I will be covering all the different ways in which emerging technology is replacing animals in science. Mm-hmm. So the first couple of classes will be kind of intro level, like why would replacement of animals be important? Not necessarily ethically. I was asked not to talk about animal research being morally bad, mm-hmm. but, also, but but actually scientifically. Right. So um, we're in a translation crisis. 95% of drugs tested in animals fail at a human clinical mm-hmm. trial. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of um, political imp- impetus and scientific impetus to look into non-animal methods that are human relevant so that that translation is actually uh, ramped up and we actually get the, the drugs that we need for some of the more most important conditions that are affecting our populations. And so the early state, the early classes will talk about uh, regulations and how you validate non-animal methods, how you go about developing them. But then we'll do week by week, we'll talk about different technologies each week. So we'll have an organs on a chip week and a 3D bioprinting week mm. and adverse outcome pathways, high throughput chemical screening, organoids grown in the lab. We have one class dedicated to replacing animals in science education. And part of the assessment, the students will be asked to write kind of a a research proposal outline, Mm -hmm. like work as a group and do interviews with people who are developing these technologies, ask them about next steps. Where is this going? Like what motivated you to get involved in non-animal methods development? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's going to be really fun. I'm teaching it in January and it's 35 student seats are available in the class. We currently have 33 seats full. Oh. But I expect a full house. And how long is the course? It's January through April, so it's a term at UBC. Okay. 13, we have 13 weeks together, mm-hmm. and we meet once a week every, um, every Tuesday for three hours. I bet you're looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Now, um, what is your hope for the course? So my main aim is to make sure that we are, as a a really high profile and research intense institution in Canada, Mm -hmm. I think that it's UBC's responsibility to start training our students in non-animal methods because that best prepares them for the world that they are going to be graduating into. As an example, the Netherlands as an entire country have made it a governmental priority to phase out all animal testing by 2025. Mm. If you graduate and you go to get a job in the EU, you're legally obligated to implement the principle of replacement because it's in the EU directive. Yeah, it might be imperfectly implemented currently, but it still stands that that is what the directive says. Closer to home, we have the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency down in the States, who uh, recently announced that they're phasing out all animal testing by 2035. So when our graduates go and get jobs, in these either government institutions or as research scientists abroad in different countries, Mm -hmm. they're going to be expected to be well-versed in some of these technologies. And I think that we would simply be failing them as an institution if we're not teaching about them. And so, to my knowledge, this is the only course that would actually teach about these technologies in one comprehensive, uh, concentrated course. And so you might learn about, you know, stem, te- stem cell technologies if you happen to take a class by a certain prof who does that. But what I wanted to offer was a, a concentrated course where you would learn about lots of different types mm-hmm. of replacement technologies. So that my aim is that we just have scientists going into the workforce that 
have had that culture of science challenged a little bit that the animal model is the best way to go because mm-hmm. it simply isn't true. Who proposed the course to UBC? Was it you that proposed it to start with? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a personal question to end on. You must be really motivated to take on this mindset about the use of animals in science education. Can you tell me what it is that drives you and what keeps you going, what keeps your energy up for doing this type of work? Um, That's a really good question. Um, I'll be honest, it's very hard. So the science education piece for me is that I I found my love of teaching back a decade or so ago when I started teaching at UBC. Mm-hmm. And it's something that my mom is a teacher. Oh. And um, so I was always raised with knowing that education is like really important. And my mom loved her job. Like before she retired, she mm-hmm. just loved being a teacher. Um, and all the additional roles that she played in the lives of her students, as well as being just that educator. Um, and so when it came my turn to take on teaching at UBC, I really feel like, um, you know, being an educator is a really uh, special role to play. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when, when that was combined with um, my neuroscience background, and I, I, I left neuroscience because I was uncomfortable with the use of animals in, uh, that I'd seen. Okay. Um, I questioned the scientific validity of what it is that we were doing. Yes. And um, so it didn't sit right with me. And when I had the opportunity to do my PhD on the ethics of using animals in science and how we govern this practice, I started to see the injustice. And I started to see that animal advocacy work in Canada, with the exception of a few really important groups, Mm-hmm. Most animal advocates want to focus on farm animals or they mm-hmm. want to focus on wildlife or shelters or you know medical surgeries for animals. And I found that there was no central voice for animals in science here. And I come from a country, it's like the UK has at least five different charities that what they do is advocate for animals in science only. Really? That's amazing. So I didn't see a group here doing that. And um, so I was really driven to create something new for Canada. Mm-hmm. And then when I, I actually didn't know a whole lot about dissection, um, I didn't do it. It's not hugely prevalent in Britain. It's not banned in Britain either, but it just wasn't offered to me. And so when I learned that it was still super prevalent here, it's very common that, that students still do dissection. I was like, wow. I, Cause I think even a lot of animal advocates think that it's something that just doesn't happen anymore. And it really blows my mind that people don't understand the issue fully and are so, so attached to doing dissection. So this is a, as a personal story, we did a letter writing campaign earlier this year to federal ministers. We asked people to support the Healthy Free Cosmetics Act, mm-hmm. which is a federal bill to take something away. It's a federal bill to ban a practice of using animals in cosmetics testing. Yes. Um, Then we did our writing campaign to the BC Minister of Education, not asking to ban dissection, but to simply empower students to have a choice. Mm -hmm. All of our social media commentary about the Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act bill was positive. Everyone was like, yes, we really need this bill. It's a path due. It's about time. (laughs) When we did the dissection letter writing campaign that is just provincial, not asking to take anything away, 
we got some really harsh commentary. Like, I can't get behind this. I don't know why you would do this. You're obviously an extremist animal rights group. And I was actually really surprised. That's interesting. Yeah. And so I think culturally speaking, um, I don't don't understand what's behind that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think when you ask what drives me, I'm I'm a fact-based scientist Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. And all of the facts about dissection Tell, coupled with our ethical responsibilities, tell me that we need to stop dissection tomorrow. And no one loses out. No one loses out if we end dissection tomorrow. Zero. Except for perhaps the animal supply companies that won't have that income anymore. But guess what? They can supply animals for other things. Or they can start... Or they can start making alternative... Alternatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so no one loses out. And it really blows my mind that is that attachment. So what drives me is that the knowledge that I have and the, the facts that I present to people, I think I'm just continually motivated to make the change based mm-hmm. on the, the, the injustice that I feel. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good question about what gets me up in the morning. Yeah. A lot yeah. of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to add the coffee with the passion, I guess. It helps to fuel it. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, any, any animal rights um, activism or advocacy is, is difficult, I think, for all of us, but it's interesting to me. I know you have other people working with you, but um, every time I've seen anything about Aspie, you've always been the one that's doing it, doing the classrooms, providing the information on the on Facebook, even yeah. and, you know all of that. And I know that you're a huge, huge part of this. And I yeah, thank you. Wanted to see what <laughs> what what is getting yeah. you up in the morning, and I want to thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You know, I think um, I really believe in our organization. Mm-hmm. Like we founded it literally on the back of a napkin at Aphrodite. Vegan <laughs> pie, and, yeah. um, and you know, I have an amazing board of directors. I have really great contractors that we are lucky enough to have funding to to pay. Mm-hmm. I have a great volunteer team, but I remain our sole staff member. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm the person in the pictures and doing all the things because, yeah. like, I'm our only full-time staff member. And as executive director, the, the book kind of stops with me. Yeah. Um, but we're obviously, of course, aiming to change that um, through, like, fundraising and um, different grant applications. Um, I really believe in us. I really believe in what we do. And um, I think that um, with the spectacular board members that I have behind me, I think our next strategic plan, which I'll be publicly publishing soon, is a really, really ambitious, but a very solid one. Good. And so I can give you a highlight that we're going to be advocating for legislative change in Canada so that we actually have uh, more meaningful policy for animals in research. Because that's been one thing I've wanted to work on for a long time. So we're not leaving dissection alone at all. We're, mm-hmm. we're formalizing our humane science education program, but it was time for us to get involved more at a, at a bigger level. Right. So that's what, that's what we'll be doing. Excellent. Along, along with a whole host of other things. <laughs> great. Go, 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 go. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining me today, Elizabeth. I really appreciate it and uh, appreciate your ongoing work. Thank you so much. I was thrilled that you wrote to me and invited me to be part of your show and the opportunity to just talk in depth about this has been really meaningful, so I appreciate it. Are you living with a disability? If you're under the age of 50, you could be eligible for up to $90,000 in free government money through the Registered Disability Savings Plan. It is estimated that 70% of those eligible have not yet opened one. That's a lot of people missing out on free money. 
Access RDSP is a non-profit program providing free support to help you access these funds, including Indigenous-specific navigation and a $150 grant to get you started. To learn more, go to getmyrdsp.ca. You're listening to Animal Voices on CFRO 100.5 FM, Vancouver Co-op Radio. Hey, we're putting out a call to students and parents for our final In School Days series, which will air on December 6th. If you have something to say about the use of animals in our school systems, and particularly if you have some solutions or changes that you would like to see, please reach out to us. We want to hear from you. You can connect with us on Facebook at Animal Voices Vancouver and at animalvoices.org. You can also email us at radioanimalvoices at gmail.com. Join us next Friday at noon when we'll feature a discussion with Camille Labchuk of Animal Justice. We leave you with the song When We Stand Together by Nickelback. Stay tuned for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thanks for listening today, and please remember to be kind to animals.